So today we're going to continue talking about spoiling the strong man. Uh, the watchmen give me a, a encouraging uh, uh, reports when uh, for the Saturday teachings because uh, this is what we do. And so it feeds our spirit. Uh, probably in a different way, it may feed some others, but it's the word and, and it'll, it'll be a blessing to everybody because we need to understand how the kingdom operates, how to take authority. I think we do less complaining if we do more taking authority and separating out spirit from soul, from, from, you know, all that kind of stuff and, and just using the word as it's, it's meant to be used. Uh, so the word is meant to be used in demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit and making known the principalities and powers of manifold wisdom of God is the church's responsibility. And so if we're not addressing the enemy and, and taking authority over him, you're only doing part of the job. You know, many times we think we're waiting on God to answer a prayer and the devil stole something. And he's sitting there laughing at us because he's got it hidden from us or he's got us looking at people instead of at him. All kinds of deception, all kinds of ruses to keep people on the wrong track and to keep the church kind of living in a, a place where we feel powerless, we feel helpless. So all we do is complain. You know, complaining is for the losers, for people who have already given up and don't have the courage and the will and the tools to fight. But if you will pay attention and if you will read your Bible with discernment and ask God to give you understanding, that's, that's all this is, is understanding of what's really going on in the unseen realm. And so the last uh, time we spoke about Pharaoh and how he was, how God was dealing with him, through the children of Israel and how God deals with world powers. Uh, and that's what Pharaoh represents. He represents the ruler of the world because at that time, Egypt was what they call the cradle of civilization. Remember that term? I don't even know if they use that anymore, if they teach kids world history the way they used to but you know we used to study history from beginning to end and i thank god for those teachings because that gave you an understanding of who you are where you came from what was here before you got here and what you're doing now civics taught us how these this nation's government ran and i can tell you they don't teach it anymore in schools they don't they don't teach a lot of they don't teach kids cursive writing uh, they, they quit teaching them how to add and subtract a long time ago. Um, much of the um, arithmetic, geometry and stuff that, that kids have learned uh, over the years, you know, decades, was based on the clock face. You know, that round face that had 12 divisions in it and you knew what a quarter, a half, three quarters a whole, you know, you, you learn fractions, you learned all kinds of things. And then they got digital clocks. I remember Bridget being in school and I would ask her, I said, well, well, did they teach you a quarter from a, and she's looked at me and I said, you know, like on the clock and I was telling her and then she, she looked at me puzzled again. Then I realized they got digital clocks everywhere. They don't even have the old fashioned clock face. Amen. Because people just, when modern things happen, people move from one thing to the next and they don't, they don't 
honor tradition. When you start killing tradition left and right, you're in bad shape. Because you don't have a foundation anymore. Uh, All tradition is not bad. I have a tradition of, of breathing regularly. Amen. You have a tradition of going to bed at a certain time and waking up. You know, you can, you can call it what you want to, but it is a tradition. It's a habit. It's a quote unquote necessity. What would happen if you didn't do those things? Amen. So we, we have to hold on to them. We have to know when it's time to do certain things and, and what's important to do. And tradition gives you a sense of that. Amen. And, and, uh, there are different ways to describe it. You don't have to use that word if that word is so distasteful to you. But, but, you know, traditions are good. You know, parents need to develop them, you know, real strong, you know, and instead of, you know, I remember when I was a kid, everything my parents did was wrong. Anybody grew up like that? Then after you got grown and you knew what was really going on, you said, now what did my parents used to do? Now you're trying to remember all that stuff you censored. Amen. Because tradition is good. That's why people, and don't, don't, don't worry. Your parents felt the same way you did. They were crazy and stupid when they were young too. And then they realized, amen. Then they grew up and they began to honor father and mother you honor your parents and and god will show you what things they did that were beneficial what things you can do better you understand but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and think everything of tradition is wrong that's that's not true at all it's never been true and it's true in the church too you know people want to well you know that's traditional that's tradition there's nothing wrong with some traditions in fact i'd like to see them come back again amen and so it's just good to hold on what's good cleave to what's good and and what's not good you'll you'll lose interest in it or if it doesn't work for you that's fine too but but always understand that that some things just are good to carry from one generation to the next one. And so uh, when we talk about spoiling the strong man, there are certain traditions in the church that have helped us to, to um, build on the next revelation that God has for us. I was sharing with Pastor Shirley about a, uh, uh, a person uh, he has a, um, uh, a, uh, a page on a, a certain uh, website that I visit sometimes. And this man has gone from uh, uh, decoding some certain uh, kinds of uh, messages and that kind of stuff. He was popular for that. But he has always had a, um, uh, a, a um, what do you call, profession of being a medic. He was an army medic. He's a... Um, it was be first responder, M- M- EMT, that kind of work. And so he's a Christian too, and he's understood disease, illness, and prayer. And I was telling Pastor Shirley, I said, I used to see him put a prayer or two on this website. I said, I said, do you know that thing has grown to he doesn't even put some of his original stuff on his page anymore it's all to do with prayer and healing especially healing prayers and you see it's nothing but testimonies and there's tons of them in there people say i use your prayer for such and such and so and so and i said lord we've been praying about that forever for people understanding how to use a prayer manual how to take a written prayer that's got the word in it 
and takes authority over illness and over problems and all that and will help you live a good life. And, and it, it, that thing converted overnight. I watched it over a span of maybe two or three years. I watched it go from his information on, on a different area to more and more people started asking him about things that they had seen on his website. And I said, I wanted to post and just thank you for that prayer because I used it and I got so and so and such is nothing but testimonies now. And I was telling Pastor Shirley, I said, people out in the world are so hungry for the power of God. You know, we say it, but when you see it in reality and you see the response that people give to just a simple prayer that's effective and how much they appreciate it and how much people are willing to use prayer now to to get their needs met. It's just amazing to me how much that can grow just boom overnight like that. And I'm sure it's not overnight to him. He's been working at it for a while. But it is a blessing to somebody who prays and has always tried to recruit prayer warriors and watchmen, encourage people to pray, uh, it's a blessing to see that thing grow like that. It really, really is. And I look at him, you know, I'm going to scrutinize him and look at, is this prayer right? Is this, you know how you do. You just, you got to know. And so, you know, once you examine it and you see it's the word and you see God anoints it and you see people get results, who am I to question anything anymore? I'm just blessing God for that brother. And so the knowledge of of our authority, the knowledge of our um, our grace in God to cause good to happen in the world is increasing, and I see more and more people are are having less uh, confidence in their own abilities and more confidence in God to come in and help us if we will pray. And so I thought what we would do today, we talk about, uh, talk about the spirit of Pharaoh and how it's working in our day and age. That's what's important. Uh, we have to look at what's going on in the world now and sort it out. Is this God? Is this not God? If it isn't God, God give us a strategy. If we have a strategy, how do we identify Who's responsible for the chaos we see and the trouble we see? You can see a human face on it, but that's not going to get to the root of it. You've got to find out who the strong man is behind these human faces. And sometimes human faces are just deceived themselves. They're just doing what they know to do, but that doesn't give an excuse for it to continue. So you have to balance your information that you get. You don't just sympathize with people. Well, you know, they they only know this. and then, No, 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 no. We stop this demon right now. We stop this devil. you got to put your foot down on his neck and start understanding that he's not allowed to speak. He doesn't, he never created anything. He doesn't own anything. He's a thief and a liar and you treat him as such. You don't, you don't try to give him a free pass you know the people especially people who are being used by the devil they need to get free so you need to bind the devil so he could leave the vessel and the vessel can have some peace and not lose their salvation you understand one of the salvation that's been bought for them and also so that they can quit deceiving and influencing other people to follow the devil Amen. Because when you follow the devil, you wind up in hell. 
That's just all there is to it. And so what we do with the gospel is we lead people out of destruction. We lead them out of torment. We lead them out of hell. We lead them uh, toward God's kingdom. And so that's that's why you take authority. Some things are not going to move until you use your authority to make it move. Because people traditionally will take this stance. Well, I'm waiting on God to do something. And God says, no, you you bind that thing. You make it stop. I gave you the keys. You can't put that on me anymore. I've done all I'm going to do. And many times things are at a standstill because we won't go into understanding. And won't go into knowledge and understanding what God wants us to do. That's why he had us write this prayer manual so it would make it plain. That was a scripture he gave us in Habakkuk. Write the vision and make it plain that he who sees it can run with it. So you don't have to buy 15 different books and, and pour through the Bible yourself. It'll save you a lot of trouble if you'll pick this weapon up and use it against the enemy. Amen? I remember we would have people, we would sell the prayer manual, people would buy it, they'd be all excited, and, and you wouldn't see them for years. And then you get an email from them or something you hear from they call. I picked up that book I got from you, and I said, when did you get it? It's been a while. You find out they ain't been around in five or six years. That prayer manual been sitting there staring at them. And then when when all hell breaks loose, they finally realize, well, maybe I should read this and see what's in it. It might help me. You understand? But better late than never. Amen. But best to be on time. You know, late is not not a good thing to be at all. You need to be on time with the things of God. And so we've been able to, from that revelation he gave us uh, in the manual, we've been able to stop the devil from advancing, recognize what he's doing, recognize his maneuvers. Don't just overlook every. You can't overlook everything, folks. I mean, sweep it under the rug. You're going to have a pretty big lump under that rug if you don't address those things. So we're not, we're not given to just letting things go. We're giving to stopping the enemy's power through the power of our words, through the power of binding and loosing. Stop. Don't go any further. Let that go. Let them alone. Leave them alone. Drop it. Cut it out. That kind of talk. So unless you're willing to use that kind of talk, you're not going to get very much. I can guarantee you that because other than that, you're mad at God because he ain't doing it for you. I'm going to say it again. If you don't do it yourself, you're mad at God because you expected him to do it for you. And he has already. He has left you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth, he can't move until we move. Amen. He just can't do it because he's given us. It's just like I'm standing outside the door of my house uh, waiting to get in and the key is still in my purse. Well, hello, take the key out, put it in the door, you can get in. I'm sitting waiting for anybody to come by and let me in. That's kind of crazy. So when you have keys, you have them for one purpose and that is to use them. God expects us to use our spiritual authority. Instead of running around, bossing people around, being mad at people because they won't do what we want them to do. Use your spiritual authority so you can get some work done. So we need to understand that Pharaoh is a dictator. What we would call a dictator. Or a tyrant. He's a one-man show. Now when, when the Pharaohs would use their power for good, 
God honored what they were doing to help people. But once they turn that on the people, then God is not for that. Any government that starts to weaponize itself against people, against its citizens, God wants them out of power. Because he does not give man, it is not for us to lord it all over one another. Amen. It's not, that's not God's plan. And so God wants us, in fact, Jesus even mentioned that to his disciples. He said, the one of you who wants to be the chiefest has to be the servant of everybody. He said, in the world, man, man lords, governments lord it over one another. In other words, governments will dictate, governments will, will demand certain things from people. He said, but in God's kingdom, he who will be chief must be the servant of all. You got to watch each other's feet. You can't boss each other around and put each other down and lift each other up. That's God's job. And so when God finds governments, I don't care who they are. I don't care where they are. He finds governments that want to take away from people, want to rob people, want to take rights away from people. God steps in with somebody to pray so that he can correct that and people can live in freedom. That's where God's spirit dwells in liberty. The Bible says that where the spirit of the Lord is, that is where God's spirit rules, there is liberty. How can you tell God's in control? Because people are free. Not free to do whatever they can to harm each other. We still live by the laws, the commandments of God. But we have the freedom against tyranny. We have freedom against a government that wants to rule us and not serve us. When you give your your allegiance over to a government is because you have hired that government to serve you. And there is no other form that God will honor except a servant government. Amen. Not dictatorship, not rulership, but servant government. And so in this country, we have a constitution that says that we the people did this we didn't government didn't come in and hire us to be subjects we hired the government so our constitution is for the benefit of we the people and we set up the rules we set up the standards we set up everything so you're going to always have a spirit that'll come in and want to challenge we the people and put we the people under subjection and how they do that, usually by some kind of deception, amen, some kind of ruse where they tell you one thing and do another, or they tell you they're going to do something and never get around to it. You know, we got to do this first. You get a bunch of excuses all the time. So when you see that, you need to fire that government, and God will give you permission to do it, amen, because they're no longer working for you. They're working for self-interest, and they're using the people for their benefit as pawns. And so when that starts to get started, God will come in and correct things. And how does he do it? He'll do it through other leaders that he raises up for the purpose of of serving, making sure everybody gets what they deserve and, and what they get served. So we're going to talk about the first Pharaoh that, that God dealt with back in the day. When Joseph was kidnapped 
and taken down to Egypt. Amen. Uh, Joseph, uh, we know he was a, a prophet. His first, first gift was the gift of dreaming and interpretation of dreams. Now it's interesting that Joseph didn't start dreaming until his father made him a coat of many colors. Amen. Now that coat, how many of you read my face Facebook post last night? Amen. So you're up on that. So so you know what I expressed in that post was that that coat represented a mantle and it represented a call. And so when Joseph was 17, his dad made him this coat of many colors. His brothers were very jealous of it. Now, this is something that people don't take for granted is going to happen. Is that We all act like we shocked. When God anoints you, your prayers start to have power. Everybody notices you and they hate you automatically. Why is it? It's because that the, the anointing of God is, is, is an invading power for the status quo down here on the earth. As long as the devil runs everything, everything's hunky dory. As long as we all get in the flesh, fight each other, hate each other, take each other's husband, boyfriend, money, whatever it is, the devil's satisfied. And when somebody comes in that's anointed to pray and say, well, honey, that's not right. You should have a job and you should have money and you should have this and you want your husband back, we'll pray. The minute somebody comes in with that, and God, of course God anoints that. That's his word. It's going to set things in order. They're hated automatically. Well, why do we lament about it and go go on Facebook and post for, for, for 10 years all the haters you got? You got one hater, that's Satan. You, you, you're too immature to recognize that you don't fight against flesh and blood. So get off Facebook, go sit down, go read your Bible, and go get some sense before you come and post something. They don't, they jealous of my gift. You, you got one, but it ain't much to it. Because we all got one. If you didn't notice, my goodness, God didn't leave anybody here bankrupt and empty. Everybody's got a gift. So don't think you're special because you just notice you may have something. You keep talking and this is as far as it's going to go. Because God see you run your mouth too much and start bragging too much. He's not going, how can he help you to develop it? If you stay bragging, you stay in the flesh with it all the time. Everybody's got a gift. Bible says your gift will make room for you. That assumes everybody's got one. Where you stand out is where you devote it to God and let him develop it. If you never let him develop it, you're not doing anybody any good. It's just just something that you have potential for, but you got to develop that potential. you got to do something with that. The way you do it is hand it over to God. And this is what happened to Joseph. He was He was a young young man, young boy, no experience with God, living in his father's house. But his father somehow gets the impression to do something to make him stand out. Amen. And he made him that coat of many colors. After that point, Joseph had some dreams. And he wasn't versed in God enough on his own, developed in God, to know how to handle the dreams. 
once God starts to give you revelation, you'll learn real quick how to handle it if you're paying attention. Because if you want to go and brag on it every time God does something, you'll soon realize I'm not making any friends by talking like this. And God, you gave this to me. Why don't people like me? And God will take you aside and say, I didn't tell you to tell nobody. Is it time to share? Is it time to? No, because you don't understand it yourself. So instead of humbling ourselves and getting full understanding and revelation on what God's doing and what we're to do with it and handling it like it's precious, we start just scattering it everywhere. Talking about it out of the flesh, bragging about it, telling everybody, and then, oh no, you, and, and then pretty soon, the reason God lets people bust you between your eyes, and hate you, and start doing mean things to you, is because you're out of order. And He teaches you how to con- con- uh, consider what's precious, how to handle precious things. We don't know how to handle them. Remember when Moses first met God? God said, take your shoes off. I'm talking to you. Amen? Anywhere God is, is holy ground. We need to do something to show some reverence. Amen? And so many times we'll run off, you know, like chicken, little sky is falling. Well, you know, hello, it's called raindrops keep falling on my head. You got me? And so we run off with a teaspoon of revelation when it's going to take a whole lot more for us to be able to handle the word skillfully the way God wants us to. And so most of us learn to keep precious things precious, keep a lot to yourself. God will tell you when to release revelation, if you're to release it at all. He'll tell you when to release understanding. First place, we need to release a lot of this that we get is is in the devil's face. God start giving you revelation on divine health and healing. And you want to brag to people, God showed me this. And yeah, I'm not going to be sick no more. Yada, 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 yada. Well, you need to hit the devil over the head with that word. That word was for you to use for your help, for your protection. You can't start a healing ministry on one scripture, folks. You got to wait and let God develop you. And, you know, we'll do, we, we, we give respect to every kind of learning except spiritual. We'll respect secular education, which is is nothing more now than indoctrination. It's just horrible what that's deteriorated into. You let the devil get in there and kick God out, and this is what you get. Amen? It's it's rare that you can get a public school that has good education in it anymore. Most kids are failing. Most kids don't live up to the proficiency tests that they have. They can't pass the state proficiency tests. Why? Because they're not being taught anything. Teaching went out the door years ago. Years ago. And so we, we've got to understand how to respect what God has for us and really understanding when God starts to give us revelation, how to handle it, who to share it with, who not to share it with, how to do certain things. This is what God wants us to do and how to recognize it. So the first Pharaoh that, uh, uh, God's people had any contact with was in Genesis chapter 41 and we see Joseph here he's been sold into slavery in Egypt this is he he started out he was a 17 year old when he first showed up in Egypt 
He worked for Potiphar. We're not sure how long. But uh, God started to develop his gifts. As long as he stayed humble to God, his gifts grew. His abilities grew. And this is what we need to to focus on. How to make your gift grow, stay humble to God. How to How to cause an anointing to grow in you, stay humble to God. How to cause power to come into your life, stay humble to God. There's no magic bullet. It's just follow Jesus wherever he leads you. That's how you stay humble to him. Just follow him. Stay in your word. Read your word. Meditate on the word. Trust the word. Obey the word. Amen. You know, get out of your own head and what you want to do and how you're going to conquer the world. You're not going to do nothing. You understand, if you conquered the world, you wouldn't know what to do with it, just like most dictators. So we got to get the little dictator out of us that wants to run everything, run everybody's business, make everybody behave. Amen. Make them do what you want to do because you got so much wisdom. We got to get out of that and come into something else. And so Joseph, when he got that dream, that dream showed him as a ruler over his family. And that's when they got threatened. Amen. And in a young boy that age who was favored by his father above his brothers, the Bible says that, it was a dangerous combination. So God had to get him out of that situation within an inch of his life because those brothers, most of them, wanted to kill him. His oldest brother stepped in, and because of his authority in the family, he was able to talk them out of it. But they had to get rid of him. And so the compromise was to sell him to some travelers that were coming through. And he winds up, guess where, in where he's supposed to be anyway. He winds up in Egypt. So if God can't get you to your destination one way, he'll get you there another. But he will get you there. Egypt was always Joseph's destination. He saw himself ruling over his family in the family situation, but in the, in the, the reality of what he was going to be doing, he was far from where he started. He was far from where his family was. And so we have to understand when we get a vision from God, a word from God, a dream from God, we're only getting partial picture. Our carnal minds will tend to want to fill in the rest of it. But don't let yourself slip over like that because you'll find yourself trying to work out God's plan in your natural power. And it'll fail miserably every time. So Joseph had to wind up in Egypt because that's where his gift was going to be demonstrated. That's where his gift was going to be refined. That's where he was going to wind up living. It was not going to be in his family situation. Why is that? The Bible says a prophet is not without honor except where? His family, hometown, family, everywhere. So you're going to have to move, prophet. You're going to have to give up something. You're going to have to be mobile. You might have to run. You don't see a prophet in in the Bible that was too fat to run. I'll put it to you that way. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, and they stayed on, and the people in those days, they didn't put on too much weight anyways, unless, unless they weren't doing their job. But you, you had to run. It ran for your life many times. You had to learn how to hide, when to hide, when to speak, when to ask God when to speak. You, you were a disciplined person 
in that old covenant. I don't know how people got so out of shape these days, run their mouth at the least provocation, they find a a, a place they want to prophesy, and they just run they till they realize they the, the the words start getting more and more hollow. And they say, oh, this must not be God. This word don't have the anointing on it it used to have. The prophet should be the first one to recognize that. You should be the first one to understand when your words don't have power anymore. Amen? And so many times you had to, you, you couldn't live a cush life as a prophet. They all knew right in advance what it was going to be about. It was living by faith, going in places they didn't want you. Most places people ran from, you know, uh, from, from prophets like, uh, um, uh, Elijah, Elisha, Jonah, Enoch. They would go into a town where nobody knew them and people would run from them. Most people, oh boy, is it good or is it bad? That's because they, they knew they was cutting up. They expected the, the hammer to fall at any time. So the prophet's life was never easy. It's the same thing with apostles. All these apostles that, that are popping up now and, if you read the definition in in the Greek, the the word apostle is translated warfare, and they haven't bound and loosed anything. They're scared of everybody and whining and begging for money all the time. You know, look at the apostles in the Book of Acts. You want to see what it's really like, and people skip over that and think they that well, it's different now. How so? That was the new covenant right there. You just skipped over. And said it didn't. They crucified him upside down. They cut him into pieces. They gave him to lions. So if you're not ready to face lions and keep your mouth shut and let God speak for you, you got a lot of mouth defending yourself. You ain't hardly anointed. Give me a break. You're a voice, not a person. And what John the Baptist said? And what did you come out here to see? We came to see, are you so-and-so? He said, oh, I'm a voice. Don't you hear me? I ain't nobody. If I don't have a voice for God, I'm a nothing and a nobody. We need to learn some stuff, folks. Just by reading your Bible, you can learn a lot. So, here we got Pharaoh. And Joseph. Joseph has had quite a colorful history by the time he gets to Pharaoh. That coat of many colors is very prophetic in his life. Because a coat or mantle represents different occupations, giftings, callings, and anointings. It seems that the first coat or mantle Joseph had was stripped from him. The brothers took it, eventually returned it to his father, covered with blood, but animal blood. Okay, somebody, get a revelation here. What's that representing? Animal blood always speaks of Moses' law. So Joseph would be Moses' ancestor. So all of this is inside of him, 
And we get different snapshots throughout the Bible of what's coming. So what God is saying, there is coming a time where the blood of animals will spare the life of my people. Just like that fake blood spared Joseph's life. See, if they hadn't put that animal blood on that coat, they would have killed Joseph. So the substitute for keeping him keeping his life was to take an animal, kill it, put its blood on his garment, and that animal became a covering for their sin that they were perpetrating against their brother. And it was uh, a picture of what we would have under the law of Moses who was in Joseph. So if Joseph don't live, Moses don't live. So that blood had to be there in a figure so we could see there's a connection here between Joseph and the law of Moses, which would come later. Amen. And so when you when you look at it in terms of the consistency of God's word, when people say, well, the Bible contradicts itself, you keep reading. Just keep reading. You know, that's for rookies who don't read any Bible or who don't step aside and meditate and God show them things. Amen. Let God show you some stuff sometime. It'll shock you. You can read your Bible all day long and nobody going to have to make you read it. Because it'll be something for when God really takes over and starts revealing to you what he's speaking about in these pages. It'll help your life a lot, folks. It'll really help your life. And so Joseph then loses his first mantle. Amen. But mercy is on it. The animal blood represents God's first release of mercy over his people. So Joseph receives mercy. His life is spared because of animal blood. Everybody got that? All right. That's good. Okay. I just want to make sure you're understanding this. And so, so then he moves on to the next stage in his life. Now, understand Joseph is young, he's immature, he doesn't know God very well, been living under his father's house, but he's picked up enough of his father's understanding to learn what to do right and wrong, wherever he goes, it sticks with him. So his father's greatest gift to him was not that coat and how much he loved Joseph, but sometimes when, when there's a bond between parent and child like that, the child picks up a lot of that parent's character, their habits, their behavior. Joseph knew how to behave wisely and how to conduct himself, even when he was a slave. He knew how to be respectful. He knew how to hold his peace. He knew how, to, and he was learning more and more how to live and survive. And so there he goes into Potiphar's house. So he's lost one coat. He gets another one. And Potiphar gives him a servant's robe. And then he gives him a ruler's robe in his household. So he was, he started out as a a simple slave boy and he advanced, God advanced him to being in charge of, of Potiphar's whole household. Potiphar said when he would come back from his long trips, he'd tell Joseph, don't even tell me what's here. I don't, I don't need to check up on you. Joseph would take him aside and want to show him how many, how much cattle, how much we sold this, and this is your money, and that's your, he gave an accounting of everything that that man put him in charge of. He's being a responsible servant. 
He's a man of integrity, and he's growing greater, greater in his integrity. Why? Because if God can make you, if you're responsible over a little bit, he'll make you ruler over a lot. Joseph had to show himself being responsible to another man, and another man having the ability to check up on him before God would make him any kind of a ruler. So Joseph begins to lose all of this identity about his dream. You know, he's just living from day to day, but he's living God's principles and he finds out as long as he's a good boy and obeys God's principles, how he was raised, he prospers. Everybody around him prospers. Potiphar prospers. His household prospers. And then one day, what happens? Potiphar's wife that don't have no morals, she's a typical Egyptian woman with a rich husband who's away a lot. Sound familiar? And so she decides she likes Joseph. She lures him in, in, into her bedroom, and when he refuses, she tries to make him, force him, and grabs his robe, and he ran, runs out from under his robe. Amen? His robe is left there and looks like a crime scene. So Potiphar comes, and the wife says, he tried to rape me, and he believes it. So Joseph's occupation changes again different mantle every time he changes clothes that represents a different mantle first was coat of many colors which was his his prophetic ability to dream and interpret dreams he lost that he moves on to the next you ever have these seasons in your life where god starts it seems like you do one thing a lot like you just pray a lot and then it kind of dries up some i mean you still do your prayer but there's nothing extra coming there. Well, that's the same thing we go through. You, you go through stages of development in God's kingdom. You all, always keep some basic things, but you focus. Your focus changes. So then God might have you focus on how somehow all of a sudden I'm praying for nothing but sick people all the time. Well, you're focusing on healing. And then all of a sudden your hands start to get warm when you're around certain people. And you ask them, can I pray for you? You man, if I lay my hand on you and pray for you, oh no, I I I like the Bible. I you know you get a lot of a lot of good report there, and then you go for a season of that happening a lot, and that dries up. Amen. And so when when we understand that God is taking us from one glory, one glorious place to the next, we'll be able to settle down and and just let help God to let things happen and things to unfold in our lives. Then later on, you'll go back to some of the things that you had set aside for a little bit. You got me? It goes in spurts like that sometimes. But we're always perfecting and refining what God gives us in the gifts and abilities he gives us so that what? We can serve humanity. We're servants, first and foremost. We're not here for anybody to serve us. We're here to serve people. Amen. Serve humanity. Anybody God puts in your face, that's somebody you bow to and you serve. Amen. Don't get it twisted. And this is what Joseph, that's all Joseph was learning. How to stay low. How to be a servant. How to be comfortable being a servant. How not to get anxious about anything. So now he's had another change in mantle. So when he, uh, he goes from a naked boy running from Potiphar's household to now he's this orange jumpsuit situation. You know, he's convicted. 
of of uh, wanting to uh, force himself on Potiphar's wife. Potiphar has him thrown into jail. When people put you in jail back then, you didn't like go before a judge and have legal representation, legal aid, a court-appointed attorney. They just told somebody, put him in jail. He did this, put him in jail. Amen? And Potiphar was a very high-up official. I think he was second to Pharaoh, to be honest with you. He was a captain in Egypt, it says. So he was a high-ranking official, so his word was law. You know, he might have been the judge. We don't know. And so Joseph goes now. His mantle has changed again. First, he was a prophet and a dreamer. Second, he's an administrator. Being in Pharaoh's house, you gotta be, if you're gonna run the world, you gotta be careful with money. You gotta be fair with money. You gotta be wise how to use supplies, how not to waste anything. Gotta be a good steward. He learned stewardship running Pharaoh's, I mean Potiphar's house. So what's next? He's in jail. So what's he doing in jail? He's running a jail. The jailer saw that Joseph was discreet, they say. In other words, he wasn't for himself. He stayed, he kept to his business. He did what he was told to do. He wasn't trying to, to make a lot of friends of a lot of prisoners and, you know, selling cigarettes and all that kind of stuff. Trying to, you know, understand what, take advantage of the situation. He was, he, he minded his own business. He had that much sense everywhere he went. He's an obedient boy. And so once he's in, in prison, he seems to be there the longest. Why is he there? Why couldn't he get out? You know, for instance, when the the butcher and the baker got imprisoned, he interpreted their dreams. And he did it accurately. Their dreams came to pass, just like he said. Before they left, he said, uh, put in a good word for me. Amen. See that one slip in the flesh cost him two years you got me he wasn't done yet stick a fork in him he still said ouch so he had to stay there a little bit longer till he got done not only was he done but the season of mercy for Egypt was winding down so there are some things when you're in God's kingdom that are tied to world affairs this is for christians who think that christians shouldn't be politicians or get involved in politics or joseph was all over politics you understand what i'm saying who better to run things in god's people if they're listening to god amen and so you know even to the point a lot of people don't want to vote and all that kind of stuff you know the amish don't vote they're against doing anything in the world amen they did come out to vote in in 2016 and 2020 they voted for trump they said this god guy sounds like he can do something you know if you can get the amish out to vote that's got to be god you understand what i'm saying and so one of the things that that you find out is that many things that happen to christians are tied to national occurrences you got to know that god has tied us to it because he's ruling the world and, and what can he do to rule the world for good if he's not 
using his people. He's got to use his people, folks. Got to use us sometimes for more than to pray, even though prayer is very important. No prayer, no power, nothing doesn't change. But but once we start moving in power, he may put us into a position to speak on a national political level for him. Amen. So Pharaoh and Joseph in Genesis, Genesis chapter 41, we see Joseph finally coming out of prison. Amen. It came to pass, 41-1, came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh dreamed. And behold, he stood by the river. And there came up out of the river seven well-favored cattle. They were fat of flesh. And they fed in a meadow. And behold, seven other uh, cattle came up after them out of the water. Ill-favored, lean flesh stood by the other ones on the brink of the river. And the ill-favored ones and lean flesh kind did eat up the seven well-favored fat kind. And Pharaoh woke up. That's all he got. And he slept and sent a dream the second time. And it was about the crop. Seven lean, seven plentiful years and seven lean years came. And so it came to pass in the morning, verse eight, his spirit was troubled. And he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all the wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dream, but nobody was there who could interpret the dream. And then the chief butler finally has a flash of memory. Now you know that God is in charge of remembering and forgetting. You know, if, if we could understand that, we wouldn't be afraid of, uh, insanity. When you get older, uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, all these things, if you can remember, God is in charge of your memory. He causes you to recall things and He causes you not to recall things. If certain things are going to be detrimental to you to know and to say, he'll obliterate it. He'll put it where you can't grab it. And you you say, so, I used to remember that. I used, how come I can't think of it right now? It's not for you to remember it right now. Or you might get quiet after a while and then it'll pop up. God was in charge of that. You didn't. What did you do to make yourself remember? You got a little crank. You just crank yourself up in there. and huh? God's in charge of that. Sometimes all you need to say is, Jesus, help me remember this. If it's for me to remember, let me have it. If it's not, I'm good. You understand what I'm saying? Just let him be in charge of those things. And so this, this, um, the guy that survived, the chief, uh, the chief butler, oh, I do remember my fault this day. I forgot to tell you about some two years ago. Amen. And he says, you were angry with me a couple years ago, and I got thrown in jail. And this kid that was down there, I had a dream. This kid that was down there interpreted the dream. It came to pass just like he said. He said, I'm living. The other guy is gone. Amen? And so this impresses Pharaoh. Why? People who need answers will will seek them until they find them. Good rulers will seek answers until they find them. That's how you you understand who to vote for and who not to. The good ones will come up with a solution some kind of way that's going to benefit all of humanity, 
not just certain groups of people. You know how they like to divide you politically? If you're in this group, I'll do something for you, but they won't do nothing. They don't like you. You understand what I'm saying? People who stick to issues are generally the better rulers because issues can apply to everybody. You know, they're not interested in whether you're not interested in whether somebody likes you or not. You don't get no buy. Like don't pay your bills ever. But issues are very important. What issue are you interested in? What issue would help your children, say, for instance, in school? Somebody who's interested in, in school choice, maybe. So you can send them where you want to send them and you don't have to pay, dig in your pockets and bankrupt yourself to send them to a desirable school. Things like that are very big interest to people who have children, school-aged children. And so it's issues that interest good leaders. They're interested, and they're interested in problem solvers. Good leaders always want good problem solvers around them. Amen? And who better than somebody who has God's spirit in them? If you pray, and most Christians could solve world problems just by the scriptures they know. Just right offhand. Well, this isn't going to work because it doesn't line up with God's word. That's not going to work. Anybody who who is is surprised at what's happened to the medical profession now, if you really know what's going on. A lot of people don't pay attention to anything, but I'm talking to intercessors and watchmen now, right? Christians, we, we're all interested in how our our prayers affect the world, the world around us. You should be. And so if you're not, if you're shocked at what the medical profession has divulged into, you ain't been paying attention. The minute they start aborting babies wholesale, witchcraft fell into their hands. So they'll withhold good medication for people knowing it could help them. That makes no difference to the, them. Submit themselves totally to the, to the uh, pharmaceutical companies. They run everything anyway. You understand? They run the medical profession. Well, I, I used to be a pharmaceutical rep. I would go around to doctor's offices and tell them about new medications that our company was putting out and blah this and blah that. And it shocked me how much influence and power just a nutty little person selling pills or advertising for pills had over a doctor. They just come in and load your, your cu- cupboard up with samples. And that became your drug of, drug of choice. You didn't know much about it. You didn't have to. Because you had somebody there to tell you what, you know, what was there. It was old tradition in the pharmaceutical industry. They didn't have printed materials that they could distribute. So they sent representatives around to explain to the doctors what their drugs did and how to use them. And they've relied on that forever. And still do to a large degree. So, so yeah, it's, it's devolved into a, a killing machine where people have blood on their hands. The same people that do good do evil with the same set of hands. Hands need to be dedicated. We've, we, we know that from, from, from the Bible. You know, your, your instruments for good or for evil, not either one. You don't switch up from day to day. You're either all good or you're all evil. What's contaminated is contaminated for good. And so you can't, you know, dismember a baby in a woman's womb and then want to come and deliver a live baby and have it go well all the time. Not going to happen. 
God is in that. Then these people take an oath <laughs> to do no harm. Here you are overriding a vow you've made. How crazy is that? Did you talk about confusion? It's a wonder people survive. And then they wonder why, well, you know, we marked this person's leg. The one we were supposed to take off was marked already. How we take the wrong leg off? Hmm, wonder. Got me? Some pro- problems that were rare are now fairly commonplace anymore. Hospital settings. Infections run from one bed to the next to the next. Hard to stop. Amen. We had sterile procedure down pretty good for many decades. We had better success. And so, you know, this isn't, this isn't, uh, spiritually correct, folks. You understand things of the spirit. You're either holy or profane. Once you contaminate something, it's contaminated. You know, anybody's worked in surgery, you know, nurses, you know, I, I remember, I was, I was an assistant to somebody who drew blood in surgery and they would just pass me the blood vial out of the door. You know, I was, then they would have to change the glove when they would hand it to me. You know, if an instrument tray fell on the floor, they left it there. You couldn't pick it up and put it up on the table. Well, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't opened. It was closed. You still can't do it. What's below your waist is, am I right, Miss Pat? What's below your waist is contaminated. What's above is sterile. Huh? This is the way you do this when you get them washed. When you come in there, you don't drop them back down again and then come. You understand what I'm saying? There is a reason. These are laws. They They make laws to keep people from dying on the operating table. Because you can kill somebody with contaminated. Well, how do I know when they're contaminated? We have a rule that says when they drop down so far, leave them down there. And it never, it's never violated. You got me? And so we, we understand there are certain laws. Same thing, laws in the kingdom. Laws of God. Laws of holy and profane. Once something is profaned, it's profaned. Amen? Holiness can override, it can be cleansed again and all this kind of stuff ceremonially and all that. But once it's it's contaminated, you get a message and you start mixing in the world's values with it. And you got a contaminated church. You got a profane church. This is why you'll see people get up in the pulpit and wear anything. Like like Aaron didn't have a robe. If Aaron didn't wear his robe, he'd have been fried every time he went. If he did what we do, he'd have dropped dead on the spot. Whew. And we don't have that much grace where we can just run up and down the pulpit and say anything, do anything. Pretty soon you'll be leading the people astray. You don't think your your dress means anything. Set you apart as somebody who's who's being used of God. Come on, y'all stuff too much you gotta you gotta draw a line there's gotta be lines rules <laughs> okay <laughs> my prophet is coming out but we're sticklers for rules i don't believe in gray paint my paint is either black or white you got me you don't mix it up make it gray and think i'm happy gray's a depressing color anyway i don't see any well i don't even go there so 
because it's popular now. <laughs> so I won't go there. But you know what I'm saying. It's just some things you just don't do. So you got to draw a line. Once the line is drawn, you don't cross it. You respect the lines. And so here, Pharaoh <clears throat> needs somebody to interpret this dream. And his boys ain't cutting it. Generally, everybody got killed if that happened. You worked for the dictator. You didn't go very far. You didn't mess up. You didn't leave anything out. And so it just happens that this, this, uh, the butler is there. And when he sees nobody can answer the question, he gets nervous and his memory snaps back. He said, oh yeah, I think I remember this now. Now this guy's act, this guy is good. The brother know his stuff. He's got the goods. Amen. And so once Pharaoh hears that, he gets hope. This is what you want to give. See, Christians who are counselors to leaders give them hope. That's your main job. It, because hope means God's going to help you and there's an answer somewhere. And people who are in charge of stuff want to know what the answer is. They don't want you to keep coming to them with problems. Got me? They want answers. They don't want problems. You know, in some some kingdoms, people, if they told uh, the leader something negative, they got put to death. It was just a rule. You don't do that. You come here with some good news and some hope and stop the complaining. And so he tells them about Joseph, says in verse 12, there was a a Hebrew servant of the captain of the guard. We told him, see, Joseph is learning. He's always the servant of the person in charge. That very often means you're next in line if you accept it the right way. Don't be resentful. Don't be goofy. You know, don't try to make them your pal. Be there to learn what you can learn. You got me? Observe them. Understand how they think. Not forgetting the ups on them for learning something yourself. Joshua, it's it's amazing the difference between Joshua's ministry and Moses' ministry. But because Moses was first, he was finding things out. The one, the pioneer is always going to be one who makes mistakes but then they have a greater grace to recover after mistakes. The second one doesn't have as much grace to recover after mistakes. Why? Because he's been observing what caused the mistakes and he should know how to avoid them. So Joshua, the first thing he does before he heads out to do anything, when they go to take Jericho, he remembers what went wrong there. I mean, what, what went wrong when... God sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He was probably around 40 or so years old then. He's about 80 now. He and Caleb about the same age. That's a good age for your first year as a leader in Israel. Moses was 80 when he first got started. For all those of you, and things, God's kingdom has not changed, folks. Only things changed is our society and how we view things. But But Joshua, where Moses sent out 12 spies, trying to be diplomatic, a man from every tribe. I don't want nobody complaining that they weren't represented. You got me? I'll take a man from every tribe. I said it 12. 
Okay, so out of that 12, two came back with a good report and saw what God told them was there. Kept the word. Validated the word. Ten of them didn't. Oh, we can't do this. We're too small. They're going to kill us all. Yada, 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 yada. So when Joshua sent them to Jericho, how many spies did he? Anybody remember? Two. Why? He wanted a good report. He watched Moses make mistakes, and he wrote them down in his head, and he realized he wasn't going to repeat Moses' mistakes. What else did Moses do that Joshua didn't? When Joshua told the people, he says, now this is what we, this is how we're going to take this city. We're going to walk around seven days, do what I tell you to do, and shut up, and I don't want to hear nobody mumble a word. What was Moses' mistake? Listening to the people murmuring and complaining and being influenced by their complaints. Joshua said, mm, I don't think so. So another thing he wrote down, I ain't doing it. If y'all going to have a hard time shutting up, stay home. You got me? But I don't want no talking in this line. Amen? Just like your kindergarten teacher used to do you. You stood behind you. Every, everybody lined up. What'd they say? No talking. Huh? Why? Because when you want to stay in charge, that's what you do. You want to be the only voice people listen to and the only one they obey. Amen? So no talking. So, 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 um, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, okay. Uh, in, in Jericho, they were able to have success because of discipline. And this is what Joseph was learning. He was learning to be a person who would hold a, a, a group together. He was learning to be a person who would be discreet and only do what Pharaoh allowed him to do. Don't go any further. This is not for you. You've been a servant now from age uh, 17 to 30. 13 years you've been in training for this. And then people get upset if God don't give them a church the day after they're saved. You understand what I'm saying? Well, I got a prophecy and I'm called. Well, go sit down. You got your prophecy. Go manate. Go let it manate on you. Amen. Until God tells you what to do next. Because he told you to go rent no building and try to find no people. You got me? And so really what God wants to do with us, and this is what he has done. With Joseph, we didn't get very far with him, but some of the stuff we remember, some of it we forget, so we ought to pull out the important things. But what I want you to know is that Pharaoh can be a blessing or he can be a curse to the people, depending upon who influences him. When that spirit of Pharaoh influences people, the more freedom he gets, the more evil he gets, the more people he gets to bow to him, the more relentless he is, and pretty soon he is a destroyer of the same people that God has given him to govern. Amen. And so that's what the watchman is called to stop. We're called to stop the destruction of the Pharaoh leadership that wants to destroy humanity. And there have been tons of them, and we're going to talk about them uh, next week. Okay? Praise God. So we're going to pray now and stop the spirit of Pharaoh. Amen. From advancing. 
when we bind spirits, we are effective to stop their activity. We're not sure how much, but we know we have to do it continually so they can stay bound. Amen. If you cast out a devil, you displace him. But these spirits have to be prophesied to because they are, 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 Jesus will be the final one to dispossess them. Amen. He told us to do what till he comes? Occupy. That means let Make them let go of what they're holding. Influence people with the gospel. Let people be healed. Let them be free of the devil's power. Let them get strength. Let them get saved. All of that. That's occupying. Amen. We're occupying this earth for his kingdom. And we're pulling people over into the kingdom as often as we can, as much as we can. And Jesus has much help for us as well. This isn't the extent to our, this isn't all there is to our power. But I feel that we need to be faithful with the amount of authority that we have so that when Jesus decides to crack the sky and come back and end all this nonsense, that he will have as many as he's ordained to have in his kingdom. Amen. We are the manifested sons and daughters of God. This is how you manifest. You manifest by taking authority over the kingdom of darkness and making the devil bow and making him leave what he's got so that we can have uh, the, uh, 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 we can have the power and exercise the power and the will of God in this earth for his glory and for his purpose. So we're going to pray. Let me find the spirit of Pharaoh. I think we need to pray that one again. We didn't pray it last time. We can't pray them all last time, but We'll get as many as we need to. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, I know where it is. It's back here. In the rulers and the leaders. Amen. Father, we thank you that we are your people. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us all authority over all the works of darkness. We thank you, Lord, and we bless you and we praise you. Thank you, Lord. We declare your precious blood. We ask you forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we thank you, Lord, to continually raise up your people, enlighten your people, show your people what what you expect for them to do. And, Father, we thank you that we have authority over all works of darkness. There is no demon that's more powerful than your church. And we take our rightful authority against the spirit of Pharaoh. We tell you to let the people of God go. Let the people go so that they may worship and serve the Lord. Let people go who are called to serve God. Even those who are not saved yet, you let them go. In the name of Jesus, we bind you and your servants. We bind your powers of pride and compromise, false authority, witchcraft, false signs and wonders, oppression, bondage, man-killing, abortion, deceit, fear, idolatry, child abuse, domestic violence, drug abuse, prostitution. We plague your land with pestilence and famine. We rain hail and fire on your spiritual wickedness. Our prayers will be like boils in your flesh. We scatter your servants and strip your chariots of their wheels. We strip you of your strength. We refuse to serve you any longer by the arm of flesh. We will only serve the living God by the Spirit. 
We speak only woe to you and weeping and sorrow for your sin. We say that the Lord is God. He has already defeated you. He has already taken all honor from you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are our strength and our song. You have become our salvation. You are my God. You are our dwelling place. We will exalt you. Lord, you are a man of war, and Jesus is your name. Pharaoh's chariots and hosts were cast into the sea, and his chosen captains drowned. Nobody escaped. We say, Lord, when Pharaoh comes down, nobody who works for him will escape. They will all be captured and and caught and, and immobilized, and we thank you for that. We thank you that the waters covered them. They sank to the bottom as a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power, and you have broken the enemy into pieces. In the greatness of your power, you have overthrown them that rise up against you. You sent forth your wrath, which consumed them as stubble with a blast of your nostrils. The waters were gathered together, and they stood upright as a heap. The enemy said, I will pursue, I'll overtake I'll I'll divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You did blow with your wind. The sea covered them up. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto you, O Lord, among gods? Who is like unto you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, and doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed up the enemy. You have in your mercy have led forth the people you redeemed. You have guided them in your strength unto a holy habitation. The people shall hear and be afraid. Sorrow shall take hold on the wicked. The rulers of a wickedness will be amazed. They shall tremble and melt away. Everybody who stands against you, Jesus, will tremble and melt away. And against your people, they will tremble and melt away. Fear and dread will fall upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they shall be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord. Till your people pass over, which you have bought. Your blood-bought people will stand. And they will pass over into the next place that you have ordained for them. You shall bring them into the mountain of their inheritance. In the place which you have made for them to dwell in. In the sanctuary which your hands have established, Lord. You will reign forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. So Pharaoh is already defeated. We're just putting him in his place, folks. This is not like we've got to wait for him to leave. He must drop what he's holding. He's got to because we have decreed it already. Amen. We're just repeating what God has already done. If he did it once, he's doing it again. And every time the spirit raises up its ugly head, we cast it down. We step on his neck. Amen. So keep your foot on his neck. Keep him under your feet. Don't be afraid of him. Don't exalt him in any way. Just let God dispose of him because he has been made as still as a stone and we pass over into our inheritance. Amen? Amen. Why don't we do our declaration? I don't have Rona. She don't have me. I can't get Rona. And what, and let me, let me just remind y'all to get ready to do it again, okay? The shots, the mass, shut down, can't go out. So you pray and you stay under God's authority. Amen. Because everybody sees through this nonsense. There's an election coming and they want you at home. 
like it was the last time. Now, if you don't, you don't have to believe that if you don't want to, but I'm just, I'm, I'm admonished by God to tell you. Amen. And so it's coming again. So if you don't want a, a tyranny over you and you don't want oppression, you don't have to have it. But that's what it is. It's never for your good. The, uh, what's his name? Hitler told all the Germans it was for their good that he lock up the Jews. Lock up God's people. It's happening again. There are a lot of Christians in jail, folks. You understand what? In this country. So let's not be, let's be wise. Get your head out of the sand. I know you don't want to hear it, but you got to listen. But we have prayers to defeat him. Amen. And Rona can't get us a second time. She will not come back a second time in Jesus' name. Amen. Affliction will not come back a second time. So, Father, we thank you that you spared us before you're going to spare us again. Amen. And we don't have whatever it is that you think the devil's trying to put on you. Amen. Father, we thank you by your precious stripes, Jesus. Your precious blood, Jesus. Your precious life spilled out for us. We don't take it lightly. We honor it and we thank you for it. You love us enough to die in our place and be sick in our place. And so we thank you that sickness is taken away from the midst of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. It is so decreed. Amen. Praise God.